Like Aaron said, my name is Jake Brower. I pastor at Finding Life Church in Omaha. Um, one of the questions I get all the time, and Aaron probably gets this too, when I run into people, I connect with new people, uh, meet people on my block for the first time, whatever, is why on earth would you ever decide to start a church? And the funny thing is, just about every time somebody says that to me, my initial response is, I'm not really sure. <laughs> it's crazy. It seems nuts. It seems like, why would anyone want to do that? Um, and the truth is, I never would have imagined that I would have chosen this journey for myself. And in fact, when I really think about it, I realize that it, it really wasn't the journey that I chose for myself. Um, prior to planning that church three years ago, I was living in Ashland, Nebraska, which is a small town, kind of right in between Lincoln and Omaha. And I had a sweet gig. I was the worship pastor slash youth pastor, um, worked from home, got up in the morning, and literally got paid a salary and benefits to sit on my couch and write music and plan worship sets and listen to music. That was my life. Um, it was sweet. It was awesome. And, and somewhere out of nowhere, um, I never imagined God would call me to something different than that. And it was probably about three years into that church's life that, that Riverview Community Church was the name of that church. We decided we need to continue to multiply. We need to continue to see what God wants to do through us. Um, and if we stay safe, if we stay comfortable, that will never happen. So we hired a guy to, to come on staff and, and plant a church in Omaha, and we started thinking about it and considering what God would have us do and, and where we'd have us go about a year into that project with this new church planter. Um, everything sort of fell apart. The thing that happened through the process of bringing that person on and beginning to plan and, and pray about uh, the city of Omaha and what God would do, um, God started doing something in my heart that I wasn't prepared for. Um, I had a sweet gig. I was comfortable. I was safe. Um, I had the life I thought that I wanted. It was easy. It was comfortable. Um, and, and little did I know God was preparing me for, for something different, to shake up my life in a way that, that I didn't really want to be shaken. Um, and God, when God called me and my wife to move, to leave this comfort and go to a new city, a bigger city, and plant a church there and begin this process of, that's sort of like a, a, a giant leap. You don't know what's on the other side. You don't know what's coming next. And, and planting a church sort of feels like that in general. Who knows what's coming next? Um, I began to experience that for the first time and not knowing exactly what was coming. And it was hard and it was, it was a struggle, but the reality was when God collided with my life, when God intersected with my life, um, something changed, something was different. Honestly, I have no clue why a divine God would choose to enter into my life as a broken individual and set up camp there, but he does. And there's a couple of things that are guaranteed when a holy, perfect, pure God enters into the lives of broken, messed up, weak, feeble individuals. There's a couple of guarantees. One, it's going to be messy. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be painful. It's going to be a struggle. But there's also another guarantee that God is going to make it beautiful. Uh, a couple of months ago, I was preaching a series at, at Finding Life Church called Beautiful Collision. It was basically just looking at God's interaction with mankind throughout history and currently in our lives today. See, my collision with God was something I wasn't expecting. And most of the time, a collision is not. Aaron expected to land that jump, I'm sure. The snow was a bit of a surprise for him, although he probably didn't remember it. Um, when God collides with our lives, it's, it's hard. It's painful. It's a struggle. Why? Because we don't have what it takes. But there's nothing 
more beautiful than a broken life, allowing the fullness of God's grace to redefine who they are. There's also nothing more chaotic and more messy. And that's the reality we find. So if we as individuals want to engage with this God, we've got to be prepared. We've got to be prepared for the mess that is coming. The Christian life was never meant to be easy or well put together. There's no chance of that. The interaction between broken people and a divine God will always end in mess. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. It says, And you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of one mind, and by one and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, we come into this world opposed to God, every single one of us, you and me. The very existence our very existence is in opposition to this holy, perfect, blameless God. And there's nothing we can do about it. Here's the thing. Even after we choose to accept and live in the grace of God, it's still messy. So no matter where you are in that process, maybe you've been a churchgoer your whole life, maybe you sit here even today like, I don't know why I'm here. Your interactions with God are always going to be messy. I don't know where we decided that, that, that church and Christianity and faith, this thing that we do was supposed to be this nice put together picture, but it's not. When God decides to use you, those same mess, use those same messy people to accomplish his work and change lives, it gets even messier. And I want to tell you a story this morning about one guy in particular that God intersected with in a way that he wasn't expecting. Um, in a way that really is not going to make a whole lot of sense to us, this collision that God has with a guy named Abraham. Um, Abraham was a guy that, that's probably the most important man in the history of, of mankind other than Jesus in the salvation process, in the salvation story. You know, you got Adam way early on, the very beginning, right? Adam, we know a little bit about him. Mostly we know him for his failure, which... You know, the truth is most of the people in Scripture should be known more for their failure than anything else. Um, but we know about Adam. He's the first guy. He created the scenario where we needed to be saved. Um, but then this guy Abraham comes along. And Abraham is God's plan for healing a broken world. His birth name was Abram. Um, later he was renamed by God, named Abraham, which means father of a multitude. He had a wife named Sarah, sons Ishmael and Isaac. Um, he is so important. No one has ever had a larger mantle placed on his life, on their life, than Abraham did. Here's our point this morning. When God calls you to something and you can't do it, it is better to choose obedient surrender than safe control. If you and I choose to stay safe and control our own lives, not only will we suffer consequences of our actions, but we will not experience the fullness of God's promise. And that's the point here this morning. The fullness of God's promise. A life lived safely will never experience the power of God's faithfulness. I just want to say that one more time. A life lived safely will never experience 
the fullness of God's promise and faithfulness. We're bent towards safety and comfort. We want to feel like we can control stuff, like, like we can put our hands on it and touch it. And, and, and when life's out of control, we want to fix it as fast as we can so we can get back to being safe and comfortable. But life with Christ is chaotic. It's risky. It's messy. But it's beautiful when the power of God enters the life of a broken individual. I'm thankful for the reality that God did that in my life in ways that I, at times I wish he wouldn't have. It was hard, but I'm thankful for the hand of God in my life. And Abraham's collision with God was one of the biggest in the history of mankind. And here it is. God wanted to establish his people through Abraham and his descendants. Genesis 12 talks about Abraham. It says, The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. So, so God comes to Abraham and says, Okay, you ready for this? I'm going to make you the most important person that will ever walk this planet, other than Jesus Christ. That's what, what I want to do. I'm going to elevate you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to change everything through you. All people will be blessed because of you. That sounds good, doesn't it? I want God to come say that to me. But it came with a price, didn't it? The first thing that God said is, you need to do what? Get up from the place that you live and leave. Go somewhere else. But, but here's the kicker. He didn't even tell him where. He just said, get up and go. Get up and go. And if you're willing to obey me and do this, I will make your name great. See, when God collided with Abraham's life, the promises were there. He said, I'm going to do this stuff through you, but you have to trust me. And you have to be willing to risk your life, to give it all, to experience my faithfulness. Genesis 17 Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Galatians 3.29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. See, God wanted to establish his rule, his reign, his salvation process on this earth through this guy Abraham. What a cool responsibility, huh? Here's the problem. When God comes calling, it's almost always, if not always, going to be something we have no ability to accomplish. We're not good enough. We're broken. We're messed up. We're, we're weak, scared. Abraham was no different. He was a guy just like you and just like me. And he was scared. Bigger than that, there was a problem for Abraham. This, this calling that, that God had on his life, not only was he not really up for the task emotionally, but his wife, Sarah, was barren. She couldn't have kids. So, so here's God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, your descendants are going to be great. Abraham's standing there probably going, okay, God, that sounds great, but uh, I can't even have children, so how are you going to bless all the nations through me? It's just like God, isn't it? To call us to something that we simply, physically cannot possibly do. I love it. I love it. It puts Abraham in a position of total trust. 
Okay? I've promised you these things, Abraham. Trust me. And over and over we're going to see Abraham. Sometimes he chooses to surrender to what God wants. And sometimes he goes, I can't do it. This is too scary. This is too risky. I need to protect myself. And we see what happens when God does either. We're going to look at that. So the solution to Abraham's problem of his wife being barren, unable to accomplish this, broken, selfish, weak, lack of vision, the solution was to remember this truth. And if you forget everything else today, um, remember this statement. Here it is. Ready? Surrendered is better than safe. When God's call collides with our lives, we can respond in fear and remain safe, or we can step out in obedience and choose faith and choose surrender. Um, so I, the, the rest of this time, I just want to look at this life, this this guy Abraham, and, and different circumstances in his life when, when God called him to live out this promise. And there were times when he, he trusted God. And there were times when he said, I can't do it. I've got to control this situation myself. And I want you to look for yourself. I want you to find yourself in the life of this man. No matter where you're at today in this faith journey, it's okay. You can be whoever you are. And that's one of the beautiful things about this church is that you can be who you are, and that's fine, but God has you in a process, and the fact that you're here tells me that God is in the process of colliding with your life in some way, shape, or form, and so my challenge for you this morning is, is to find yourself here in this man's life. In what ways is God colliding with your life this morning? What is he calling you to live out? In what ways is he saying, please trust me? My promises are better. So when Abraham played it safe, when Abraham played it safe, I want to look at that first. Um, a safe life, first and foremost, self-protects. You ever been there? Self-protects? When you're playing it safe, you protect yourself. Um, my wife and I have been in sort of a transitionary period for a long time. I have three kids, 11, 9, and 3. Um, so we have our hands full, plus we haven't really had, we've sort of been like nomadic wanderers for the, almost a year now um, in January of last year, we moved out of our house, um, taking on some new responsibilities with family that have some disabilities and such. Um, so we were um, building a new house that would be um, essentially a good spot for us to take on this new responsibility with, with my wife's sister. Um, so we began this process. We actually rented out our current house, got renters in. We moved out. Okay, we're going to live with um, my parents for you know, a couple of months while this new house is building. Well, about two months into the process... Um, we started hearing things on the news, newspapers, online. Hearthstone Homes is going bankrupt. Um, at first, we were kind of like, whatever, we're not buying it. The, the sales rep at the Hearthstone office was saying, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. We've got money invested, right? Um, and she keeps saying every day, we're calling, what's going on? What's happening? This new article just came out that says you guys are going bankrupt. How much money are we going to lose? Um, and every time, she'd just be like, no, everything's fine. Don't worry. We're working things out. Just another week or so. So this, this woman that we, we talked to over and over, the sales rep, her name was Kim. Kim, and, and, and I put Kim in my phone because I needed to make sure I had this connection with her. When I had a question, I could call her. So I put in Kim, parentheses, Hearthstone. Okay, so, so over about a span of three months, I probably talked to Kim 300 times, and all of it was the same thing. If I was calling her, it was to say, what's going on? If it was her calling me, it was her reassuring me, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. Um, so as the days went on um, and the weeks went on, 
um, we started to lose hope. Have you ever been there before? You know, at first it was like, oh, Kim's calling. Yes, maybe it's happening. We're going to finally get a house. Um, disappointment every single time. Sorry, here's some weird explanation every single time. I mean, as the, as the days went by, as the weeks went by, the months went by, that excitement when Kim would show up on my phone turned into cynicism. And cynicism came from a place of self-protection. My heart had been disappointed too many times, and I was done. I just needed to play it safe. And so I expected every time she called for it to be more bad news. Um, it always was. Hearthstone went under, in case you didn't know that. Um, that's what happens sometimes. And when life gets hard, we want to protect ourselves. When we protect ourselves, we steal God's opportunity to prove himself faithful in our lives. And Abraham did that. He did that often. Genesis 17, 16 and 18 tells a story um, about God interacting with Abraham. See, Abraham was like, God, how are you going to accomplish this in my life? My wife can't have a baby. How am I going to have any descendants at all? Right? And God says, don't worry, I'm going to take care of it. Here it is. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her, God says. Then I will bless her, and she will be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. He laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Okay, so, so God is telling Abraham in his lack of patience, Don't worry, I'm going to provide. I promised a son, you will have a son. I promised I was going to make your name great. I was going to multiply your seed over and over and over. And at this point, it hasn't happened in so long. Abraham's 100 years old. He's self-protecting. He's done. His heart is guarded. So God's promise to him in this interaction, Abraham's response is telling. He laughs. <laughs> That's funny. Is it a laughing matter? I don't think so. I think he's hurting. I think he's scared. I think he's in pain, frustrated, angry probably even. And how does it come out? It comes out laughing. He's self-protecting. He's guarding his heart. I don't want to feel this pain anymore, so I'm just going to protect my heart. When we protect our hearts, we remove ourselves from having the opportunity for God to bless us in a powerful way. When we play it, a safe life self-protects. Um, secondly, a safe life responds in fear. Responds in fear. In Genesis chapter 12, um, we get this story of Abraham and he's traveling with his wife. Um, and, and he travels into, there was a big famine, and so everybody, like usual, had to go to the same place uh, to get food. So Abraham, um, along with his wife Sarah, we pick up in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, See now, I know that you are beautiful. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me. But they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me. All right, so, so they go into this town. You've got to just kind of like get this picture for a minute. This is just bizarre. This story is ridiculous. This is the guy who God wants to establish his people through. And they come to this town, and, and here's the weakness that exists in the heart of Abraham. He is so scared for his life, not trusting the promises of God, that he sells out his wife. I'm scared for my life, so, so would you just 
say that you're my sister so, so they won't kill me because you're beautiful and instead they'll just take you and sexually abuse you, take advantage of you. And he just lets it happen to save his own butt, to protect himself. He responds in fear, forgetting this reality. You know, imagine if God placed that mantle on your life. You are going to be the most important person that ever lived. I'm going to make your name great. And then in a moment of weakness, Abraham's response is fear. And guess what it creates? An absolute nightmare. Lifelong consequences for Abraham and his wife because of this choice to respond in fear. I think fear is really the heart of fear is control, right? Any controlling people in this room? I don't think there's such thing as someone who's not. I get a little a glass raised back there. Thanks for that. Yeah, we control things, don't we? I mean, that's, that's like probably one of the most natural human tendencies to control, to, to take care of what I need to take care of, right? If it's under my control, I feel better. There's less risk. There's more opportunity. There's got to be. And, and maybe I won't get what I really want, but at least I won't get what I really don't want. We self-protect. We respond in fear. Thirdly, a safe life attempts to control. What is control, really? It's a lack of faith. We can choose to live our lives this way, but even as we have seen from Abraham, it will not get us anywhere. See, Abraham's choice to live in fear and attempt to control his situation got him one thing, Pain, suffering, consequence, less clarity, more fear, more anxiety. Genesis 16, now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, now behold the Lord has, pre has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. There might not be a more or a better example of two people attempting to control their own situation. Coming from a place of fear. Understand what's happening here. Okay? This, this promise that God has placed in the arms, in the laps of Abraham and Sarah is so cool, but it's something they can't accomplish. And so look what they do. They attempt to accomplish it for God. Okay, God, you're not showing up and giving us a kid. We need a kid for this whole promise blessing thing to happen. We need that to happen. You know, we moved out. We did everything that you've asked us to do so far. Now you've got to come through for us. But at this point, God's not coming through. Even though he continues to say, it's going to happen. I'm going to do it. It's my timing. And so they devise a plan. All right, this person, this son that's going to be a huge blessing, this, this, this seed that produces that brings the fulfillment of God's promise to life that God has talked about. Forget God. We don't need him for that. I'm just going to have Sarah comes to his husband and says, Abraham, would you please just go have sex with my maid? Just go have sex with my maid, and we'll have a baby that way, and then God's promise will be fulfilled. Sweet. That works perfectly. What was going through their minds? But that's who we are, aren't we? We come up with the most ridiculous plans to control what we can't, what we have no business controlling. Playing it safe always leads us to control. And when we choose to control, I there's no way for us to fully comprehend, and the scripture talks about it some, 
but there's no way for us to fully comprehend the depth of destruction that took place in the lives and the hearts of the people in that scenario. The ways that we hurt ourselves and other people by attempting to control our environment and bypass the work of God in our hearts, it's absolutely devastating. And you can do it for a little while. You can make that attempt for a time, but eventually you will run out. You will run out. The beautiful thing is that God's waiting there for you. That song, um, we feel weary, don't we? And we can gather around the person of Christ and find rest. And Abraham and Sarah needed to come near to the person of Christ. And instead, instead, they attempted to control what they couldn't control. And it led to, to hurt and destruction. Um, a safe life simply results in more mess. More mess. Seems like an oxymoron. Shouldn't safety make life better? Abraham's experience was different. Um, but there were times when Abraham played it surrendered. He didn't play it safe. And that's really what I want to focus on. I'm, I'm beating Abraham up. But here's the reality. I, I'm Abraham. I hope you've seen yourself there. Um, here's the choice you can make. And here's what you can experience when you choose to play your life surrendered instead of safe. Surrendered instead of safe. Um, first of all, a surrendered life requires sacrifice. That's the reality, right? We saw it early on in Abraham's life. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Get up and go. He doesn't tell him where to go. He just says, get up and go. That's big time sacrifice. You know, people didn't just move back then. That wasn't how it worked. You know, we, we, the idea of us up and moving to another state or whatever, that's no big deal. You know, you just pack up the car and you go. You leave some family. It's going to be hard. You leave some friends, whatever. This is not like that. Okay, for these people to get up and go meant to leave everything that they knew. And, and, and to do it required trusting God so much that, that, that God didn't even show them where they were going. He said, I'm going to show you. Get up and go to the place I will show you. Put yourself there for a minute. You're moving. You have no home. You're packing up all of your family, your entire household, right? Everything that you have, everything you You just get up and you go. That is faith. That's sacrifice. I don't want to give Abraham a raw deal here. This is an incredibly faithful choice to surrender. And it was the most important step. And for you, in this place, in this moment, today, maybe it's the most important step for you because God might be colliding with your life today. Maybe it was this week, earlier in the week. Maybe it's been over a period of a couple of months that God is calling you. He's saying, I want you. I need you. I don't need you. That's silly. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. He didn't need Abraham, but he wanted to use Abraham. And maybe God is calling you. He's colliding with your life. And your thoughts and your fears are like, I, I don't think that's me. I don't know what to do. Your past experiences have created a scenario where the idea of making a choice, a step of faith, to trust God with all the stuff that you don't understand and that you don't know might be something God is calling you to today. And he's not asking for everything. He's asking for you to simply surrender and say, okay, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't care. It's worth choosing to surrender. 
And that's going to require a sacrifice. And, and Abraham sacrificed. And it was powerful in his life. Secondly, a surrendered life required patience. You realize Abraham was almost 100 years old by the time God's promise of a son came true. And that's just the beginning of his waiting. He would never actually see the fruit of his obedience. His people would be homeless for, three, for some three to 400 years before they would take the land promised through Abraham. Do you realize that? This promise that, that was given to Abraham, he would never actually see it come to fruition. It's cool that he got to see his son born. That had to have been an amazing, powerful moment. But his people would wander. His people wouldn't find their home for a really long time. That's the reality of our lives. Sometimes we surrender, and in this culture, in our world, we're like a please-me-now kind of a culture, right? Show me my benefit right now. If I do this, what is it going to do for me? How is it going to fix my life? How is it going to change me? It's different in God's economy. Sometimes we don't get to see it. That's where trusting that God knows what he's doing <laughs> comes into play. And it's hard. It's hard. Thirdly, a surrendered life requires obedience. Obedience is hard. But Abraham chose to obey no matter how hard it was. And as a result, over time, he learned to trust God. There were times when Abraham really, really screwed up. But the bottom line is, is Abraham obeyed God. He did what God asked him to do without having all the answers. And this, this issue of surrender, it really boils down to faith, right? It comes down to what do I do when I don't feel good or I don't sense your presence, God? I, I, I know you're calling me to something. I feel like I need to do this, but I don't want to because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what happens next. How do we trust something that we can't see, that we can't put our hands on, that we can't touch and feel and look at? There's only one way. It's through obedience. The choice to obey over time teaches us that God is faithful. It teaches our hearts that God is worth putting our hope in. That we can come, gather around him, draw near to him, and find rest. Abraham did it. He obeyed, even when it was hard. And he began over time to learn that God is faithful. Ultimately, what we're after, what Abraham experienced in ways that I'm not sure I've ever experienced, I'm pretty confident I haven't, it is is so much trust in the faithfulness of God that, that he didn't blink. When God said it, he just simply did. I want to show you his confidence, um, the surrendered life that produced um, these experiences with God's faithfulness, that produced a man that just simply responded in obedience to whatever God called him to do. Um, I want to read you a quick story from Genesis chapter 22, and it's it's actually a story that I don't like to read. Um, I've never liked to read. I've never liked to even think about it. I mean, if you have gone to church your whole life, you've probably heard this story uh, about a guy named Abraham and his son Isaac. Isaac was the, was the son that God promised, right? Go back to that. Remember how long it took for him to get his son? He was 100 years old when Isaac was born, right? His wife was barren. This child was a miracle. And one day God comes to Abraham and he says, okay, Abraham, you ready for this? Take your son Isaac, go up on a hill, and kill him for me. What? 
Seriously? Put yourself in Abraham's shoes for two seconds. Okay, God, so, so you wanted to accomplish this in my life. Um, you didn't give me a son for years and years and years and years. You gave me a wife who couldn't have a child. What are you doing? Now this son is born. He's supposed to be all everything. And you want me to go sacrifice him? You want me to go end this life that's supposed to produce fruit for years and years and centuries and centuries? What? Abraham's response is incredible. And it proves, it shows us what a surrendered, obedient life produces in a person. Because guess what we don't see? We don't see Abraham questioning God anymore. See, there was a time when I don't think Abraham would have done this, what he did, responded the way he responded. I think for the, mo- for the most part, Abraham would have simply, early in his life, would have simply said, no way, right? Like, you know, selling out his wife. A little bit of fear, selling out his wife. This is so much bigger than that. Sacrifice your son, and Abraham's response is immediate. It's fearless. It's faithful. So Abraham takes his son Isaac, and, and they're walking up this hill, and they come up to like kind of the bottom of the hill, and they got their donkey. They tie up the donkey. They've got a couple of servants with them too. They say, wait. He says, wait here to the servants. I'm going to go up the mountain with my son, and we're going we're to worship God together. Okay, Isaac has no idea what's going on. But he's a smart kid. Or at least he's, he's familiar enough with Jewish culture that he's aware of what they're doing. They're going to go sacrifice something to worship God. Okay? So they're walking up the hill about halfway up. I don't know how far. Um, Isaac starts to ask questions like most kids would. Dad, what's the deal? We're going up here to worship God, but we don't have, we don't have a, a lamb to sacrifice. There's no animal. To, what, are, what are we doing? And, and Abraham's response is cool. He says, he says, God's going to provide. Don't worry. God will provide. There it is, some faithfulness right there, right? Some, some obedient trust that's sort of unearthly. Um, I, I have no idea what the atmosphere was actually like, but his son is trusting him. So apparently he's doing a good job of at least covering up how scared he is. I got to believe he was a little bit scared, but he was trusting God anyway. So they keep walking. Um, they get all the way to the point of, of Abraham literally tying Isaac down to the altar, knife over his head, ready to end his life and sacrifice him because God told him to. That's stupid, isn't it? Doesn't that sound completely crazy and ridiculous? Why would anybody do that? And there's only one way. See, I believe wholeheartedly that Abraham never for one second believed he was going to sacrifice his son Isaac. Not for one second. He was so familiar with the faithfulness of God the character of God, the person of God. When God promises something, he comes through on his promise. And his choice to obey over and over and over taught him that. So much so that he never, ever planned on sacrificing his son. We tell this story often to talk about God's sovereignty. He's going to provide a way out, right? And he did. He provided. uh, There was a ram caught in a tree. They grabbed him. They killed him. They celebrated. They rejoiced. But I want to point out Um, A couple of verses from Genesis chapter 22 in the process of this story. When they were coming up to the mountain, getting ready to go up the mountain, they write the donkey and the two servants. Listen to Abraham's words. Abraham said to his young men, the servants, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there. We will worship and we'll return. He never planned on it. 
he planned on coming down that mountain with his son because he knew that Isaac was too important. He trusted the person of God, the character of God, because he had chosen to surrender to him over and over and over, and it taught his heart, you can trust me. You can trust me. Again, in verse 7, Isaac spoke to Abraham, and he said to his father, my father, and he said, here I am, son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. He was convinced. He believed it. He trusted it. He was ready. He knew. And the challenge for us this morning is to recognize that God is worth surrendering to. We can play it safe. You and I can play it safe all day long. You can keep controlling your life. I can keep trying to control my life, but here's the collision for you and I this morning. God is saying, stop controlling your life. Stop playing it safe. Take a chance. Take a risk. Enter into the chaos, the mess that is divine human interaction. Be part of it. Be part of the story. And don't clean it up. Don't make it less messy. Let it be what it is, but choose surrender instead of playing, playing it safe. Father God, thank you for thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for offering this life to us. That we don't have to be afraid, even though we are. And thank you that when we are afraid and, and, and when we attempt to control, um, you wait patiently for us. And, and your, your call to us is constant and continuing. and you're saying, trust me, just trust me. I want to take care of it. I'm big enough to take care of it. Whatever you're afraid of, I'm big enough. I can handle it. And I pray for everybody in this room um, that they would open up to what you're doing in their hearts right now in this moment. Whatever it is, no matter where they're at on this journey, each one of us, we can embrace the fear, the brokenness, the pain, the struggle, whatever. We can embrace it and trust that you will come through. Teach our hearts to trust you, God, when we can't do it in our own strength. We love you and worship you.